Morning, everyone. Great to be with you this morning. And it is February. I can't believe it. I cannot believe it. Um, as AB mentioned, my name is Young, a pastor here at New Life. Um, it's great to be with you. It's great to see so many people as well. Uh, a lot of uh, old familiar faces coming back, and so it's uh, good to be worshiping alongside you guys. We're one week away to refine. I can't believe that either. Like, it's just really snuck up on me. Um, I'm sure it snuck up on a lot of you guys as well. Um, before I get into the word, how about I pray for us, and then we'll dive straight in. <clears throat> Father, as we turn to your word this morning, and as we uh, gather together around it, uh, we really want to uh, give all of our visionary dreams over to you about what our church should look like. We know, Lord, that you have what's best in mind for us, and that's what we want to look to. Uh, as we open our eyes to this, God, would you help us, Lord, in our hearts to agree uh, with the vision that you have for new life, to really be able to see uh, what it is that you have in mind for our future. Uh, we know, Lord, that wherever you lead is the best place for us to be, and that's where we want to be. And Father, uh, even as we think about these things, we think about our present as well, Lord, and our present condition, uh, just thinking about the many things that capture our attention and take us away from you. We want to give these things to you as well, Lord, and we want to give all of our desires over to you, and we want you to be our utmost desire, God. Be our everything, be our world, be our hearts. Uh, we really want to give all of ourselves over to you, God. Uh, Lord, we think about those that uh, are experiencing hurt, are experiencing loss at this time, God, and we ask that you would just bind them up, bind up the brokenhearted as you promised that you will, and bring healing upon them. And Lord, help us to seek you amidst it all, God, and help us, Lord, to glorify you in the gospel of grace. Would you be with us this morning? We love you, Lord, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we have reached the conclusion of our series, A Better Life is Waiting. Uh, we started this series at the beginning of the year and it's a series focusing on uh, the vision or a vision for the future of new life. And as mentioned before, we're joining with God in what he's already doing here at New Life, uh, what he's already begun in building a new culture, a culture of grace renewal. And we started the series with this passage. If you feel like it's familiar, um, it is familiar, we started this series with it. And we're looking at why, well we were looking at why Jesus used parables. And we asked together for eyes to see and eyes to understand or ears to understand. Not only the meaning of these teachings, but also eyes to see the vision of what he has in mind for a new life, for this year and in the years to come as well. This morning, uh, we're returning to the passage that launched our series. Uh, we're only returning to the first nine verses, so it's a little bit shorter. Uh, to examine the parable of the sower. So you guys should be familiar with this uh, passage, this parable, at least from the beginning of this year, you should be very familiar with it. And we're also gonna be examining how this parable relates to one of our focus areas, which you see on screen already, uh, church planting. Now as we examine this parable though, we need to be able to see the focus of this parable is not the sower, but the soils. It's not the seed either, but it's the soils. Okay, so keep that in mind as we start unpacking this passage. What is it about the soils? So perhaps, uh, actually, if you have in your Bibles maybe a title that says Parable of 
the sower. Uh, maybe the German titling of this section would serve us a little bit better in this case. You know, the Germans have uh, very literal translations. They're uh, really well known for that. The parable of the four types of ground is what it says in a lot of their Bibles. I think I prefer that uh, over parable of the sower. Now, there's a parable about understanding, about what understanding is all about, understanding what the four types of ground are and what they represent, and understanding where we ourselves are at as well, as uh, whether or not we're, you know, a particular type of ground. A little bit of a summary of the parable as well. So we see that the farmer or the sower uh, comes and scatters the seed. And so you see that in this uh, passage. It falls in various places. I'll just read uh, the first part of this parable to you. Consider the sower who went out to sow. As he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it didn't have much soil, and it grew up quickly since the soil wasn't deep. But when the sun came up, it was scorched, and since it had no roots, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns came up and choked it. Still other seed fell on good ground and produced fruit, some a hundred, some sixty, and some thirty times what was sown. So you can imagine with me this farmland, you know, there's fields, uh, there's paths that run through these fields as well so that the sower can actually go out and walk along the fields. The paths are too hard to receive the seeds because they're untilled ground, as you can imagine. And so the birds come and eat whatever seeds just fall uh, on the soil right there. If you've ever observed birds before, you guys know I like birds, um, they do like seeds. You know, they do like to eat from flowers and all sorts of th things like that. The seeds also fall on places where the soil doesn't run very deep before meeting limestone bedrock. So you can see it's called rocky ground there in uh, verse 5. Um, if you ever tried to build or if you're in you know, any sort of landscaping at all, uh, then you would know about these geotech guys that come around with these big long steel poles, they dig it into the ground and they see where it meets rock. The seeds, they sprout initially, but the roots can't run very deep due to the rock underneath. So the limestone underneath prevents the roots from reaching any deeper. And so the plants wither away in the scorching sun, unable to draw enough water, enough nutrients from deeper soil when the sun hits them. Other seeds fall into hedges of thorns, so the seeds can't get enough sunlight or nourishment to even grow. They get choked up by the thorns. And then finally, some seed falls on good soil and produces fruit. There's a harvest, you know, it tells us, 160, 30 times what was sown. And if you're not a farmer, initially you might look at this and think, sounds like a lot. You know, it seems more like, if we take it into real world amounts, it's just a pretty good amount is 100. Then there's an average amount, 60. And then there's a small but acceptable amount for what was sown, 30, according to the character of the soil. As for an explanation of what the parable means, you know, it's right there a few verses later in verses 18 to 23. You can, I really suggest that you read it in your own time. But whatever the case, in the end, there's a pretty good harvest for the sower. He's gone out, he's sown seeds, some of it's returned, 
100, some of it's returned 60, some of it's returned 30. And all in all, it's a good season's work. But there's an unstated truth that comes to the surface here. The harvest is not as large as it possibly could have been. So although the harvest is good, we're left questioning a few things. The parable challenges us to consider what are the obstacles to the growth? There exist very human obstacles to the growth of the gospel. Once again, in the parable, the sower and indeed the seed as well are not the focus here. They're fine. We know that the Lord is good and we know that the message of the gospel is the only way for us to find salvation. But the soil, that's the focus. And so the obstacles to personal growth can be found in the soil itself and the character of the soil. And so consequently as well, the obstacles to the growth of the church can be found here as well. What obstacles are there that keep us from growing new life? What are the obstacles to the growth of new life itself? Whatever measure you use here when you think about growth, okay, it might be whether it's growth in deeper discipleship in the Lord for all the congregation. It might be growth in terms of new converts to Christ. It might be a really simple measure, like growth purely in attendance. You know, people like to measure that as well. What obstacles are there? Does our church receive the word without understanding? Do we receive it with gladness, but we have no roots? Or what are the worries of this age or the deceitfulness of wealth that choke up our growth? And these are questions that we should be asking as we're reading through this parable. Now the ending of the parable, the bearing of the crop, the fact that there's a different result within the same soil, it's just one good soil that gets mentioned. It means that our understanding of growth can't be based purely on an intellectual grasp of what the gospel is. Because the same seed is hitting the good soil. It's the lifestyle that comes with knowing, the discipleship that comes with decision, the changes that come with commitment. These are the things that are reflective of this growth. My deep desire, and I suspect yours as well in New Life, is for our church to be this fourth type of ground, the good soil. The good soil that's committed to a lifestyle in the gospel of grace. The good soil that lives out a culture of grace renewal like we've been talking about for the last six weeks. Not just for the benefit of our own salvation, not just for the benefit of new life, of our own new lives in Christ, but for the blessing of the families of the earth as well. If we do this, if we become a church that lives out grace renewal as a culture, that seeks to do this love thing, that seeks to love the Lord and to love others as well, can you imagine what would happen to our city? Can you imagine what Sydney would look like? So what does all this have to do with church planning? I'm sure you're asking. Now, according to the New South Wales Department of Planning, Industry, and Environment, New South Welshmen, that's what we're called, New South Welshmen are living longer. 
There are more babies than ever before. Fertility rates are way up. COVID probably has a little bit to do with this as well. There is powerful growth population-wise in regional hubs all across New South Wales, not just in the city centers, but all across New South Wales. Because people are living longer, we must consider how to do discipleship as a lifestyle. Because there are more babies than ever before, we must consider how our church can minister to young families. And because there's growth, we must begin to ask God for a vision for church planning. As of two years ago, the population of Greater Sydney estimated around 5.3 million people. Mathematically speaking, if we were really successful in our evangelism, if witness ministry just transformed new life and we just had a 100% hit rate with all of our conversations with people, to try and bring that many people to our church would require 29,500 new lives just based on our seating arrangements. Now on top of this, population growth across New South Wales is estimated to increase 1% year on year on average. You know, if you're a math whiz, this is an average of about 100,000 people per year until the year 2041. It's a lot of people. Like, even if we try to imagine New Life's mission to just the population growth, not to the rest of New South Wales, you know, they're done and dusted, forget about them, just to population growth, I have trouble imagining our church accommodating that type of growth in the gospel. I don't know that we can fit that many people here. I don't know that we can have that many services here. I think I'll die if I did that. We need more churches. When I was fairly young in my faith, I remember hearing the word revival for the first time in a Christian context. I don't know if you've ever heard this word in the Christian context before. People were dreaming, what if revival came to Sydney? What would it look like for the entire city to come to know the Lord? Man, I was excited. I jumped on board with this idea. In my naivety, not even considering the logistics of this, like what if this really happened? Our church was growing really rapidly at the time, and already I was having a lot of trouble just getting to know all the new people. You might experience this year on year when we have our new intake of year 12s coming in. And you're like, oh, that's a lot of people to try to get to know. I couldn't imagine building lasting relationships with that many people. Trying to imagine our church on this mission was really exhausting at that time. According to the census, the religious makeup of Sydney is 2.3% of respondents consider themselves to be Christian. So to imagine us evangelizing to 97.7% of the population, it felt like we'd be trying to empty the ocean with a cup, just floating along. New life alone can't do it. We can't. No matter how good we are, we can't do it alone. No one church can reach a city. Not even one type of church can reach a city. Not one denomination. You know, recently I saw a video online where an engineer used a 50-ton robot, this boat right here, 
that collected trash from the ocean. He was trying to clean up the seas. And he competed against, you know, friendly competition against a team of a thousand volunteers that were on a beach somewhere. And they're cleaning rubbish off this beach. And they're trying to compete to see who could collect more rubbish in a given amount of time. You can imagine this robot is working overnight. It's just going. Volunteers get sleepy, get hungry, get a little bit tired of trash. In the end, who do you think collected more rubbish? The, the robot collected, I think it was in like a day and a half, collected 17,156 kilos of rubbish. And in that same time span, the human volunteers cleaned up 28,457. It's a thousand people. It's a lot of people. When we work together with others, the mission becomes a lot easier because many hands make light work. In the old territorial ways that were going on when I was in uni, of my church is better than yours, it's not good. It doesn't work. If we can put style aside, and even certain theological convictions that don't have to do with the essentials of the gospel, we can see more people experience the gospel of grace if we're working together. We need lots of different churches in lots of different styles, across lots of different denominations and networks and organizations, all striving together in the same direction for the sake of the gospel of grace and for the love of our city. We need that because different people are reached by different styles, different churches and different liturgies as well. And in fact, we need more than the churches that exist right now. We need more than that. We need more than us, we need more than whatever churches that you know of, because contrary to popular belief, there aren't enough churches. There's not enough churches in New South Wales if you consider the sheer size of the harvest field of opportunity. I think about the numbers that I just shared with you, the numbers of people that are here in New South Wales. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. As we see in the parable, the sower sows, the seed falls on the ground and there's a harvest at the end. And we need workers in the field to take up the harvest. If we're able to join in with others on this journey, if we invite them to partner together with us in this gospel mission, we have the makings of a movement. This movement, it'll look to evangelize through the planting of churches. Because church planning is strategically one of the most effective forms of evangelism in the modern age. It also results in the renewal of existing churches as well. There's been a lot of denominational studies that have been conducted around this that have confirmed, basically, on average, that a new church, a completely new church plant, gains most of its new members from those that are not currently attending any church at all. So those might be complete, you know, non-Christians. They might be lapsed Christians. And in the meantime, churches that have been in existence for more than 10 years gains most of its new members by transfer from other congregations. Not all, not all of them, but most of them. That's just a fact. While we want for all people to find the right church for them. 
I don't begrudge him that. We definitely want new people to find a church. Now, not only this, if we're planting churches, it's gonna revitalize a new life as well. It'll challenge us to greater prayer as we see the immensity of the task at hand. It's not easy, planting churches. It'll ask of us a greater commitment because this is a long-term goal, not for the faint of heart or for the quick to quit. It'll cause us to seek what's good for the city rather than just good for our church. New life. As our church culture grows and develops, what we've been talking about in the last six weeks, as we begin to really get grace renewal, I can tell you our city really needs it. You've seen it over the last two years. We're living in a time and place where people are increasingly polarized on all sorts of issues, sometimes not even important issues. There's no engagement with one another and civility and trying to understand the other person's point of view. There's no love. But instead, there's hatred, dehumanizing of others for their differences. Forgiveness and love are foreign concepts now but we can be part of a cultural shift. Just as we join in with God in the creation of culture here at New Life, we can help to shift the culture of our city as well. The love, the grace, the forgiveness of Christ are just as compelling and attractive to the rest of this world as they are to us. If we start to think really strategically and pray fervently about how we can be part of a movement of planting churches where there are no churches, we can see the culture of a city start to change. In the past, if you've been around for a little while, in the past perhaps we've grown to harden our hearts against even the idea of church planting. Like the phrase itself makes your skin crawl. Because some of us have hurts from when our friends, when those that were closest to us, that we believe that we do the rest of this life with, went. Some of us have seen the ugliness, the bitterness between people as people took sides. And some of the things that we've witnessed, they've been done under the clouds of controversy since oftentimes they were born out of a poor relationship between two parties. None of this is to cast stones about those that have gone out. Because, you know, God blesses those congregations. God blesses those churches. I bless those churches. And we should be praying for their continual growth. We should be celebrating their milestones with them as well. There's no competition. We're working together for the sake of the gospel. But can I say that new life has never planted a church before? We should have by now. Hezen should have by now as well, our you know, wider mother church. We're in our 20th year of existence as new life. Hezen's in his 30th year of existence. We're celebrating some big milestones, but we have a lot of things that we don't celebrate, like the planting of a church. If in the past there had been loving support, if there had been partnership from all sides, then maybe those that have gone before us the different pastors that have been here, the different congregation members that have been here that have gone out, maybe they could have been sent with blessings. Maybe they could have been sent with financial support, prayers, 
and we could consider them our church plants. That's not the case. We want to see a new culture born out of new life this year and the years to come, a culture of church planting, which comes from a positive, healthy place with backing from Sesame Church as well. Last year, we had a time where the pastors and the elders, we went away, we spent some time praying, we spent some time talking and visioning out for the future. And to hear the pastors and the elders of Sesame Church express agreement with such a vision, it's a mild shock to me. To hear that they support the vision of us, new life, as a church planting arm of all of Sesame, That's a great responsibility and a great honor to receive their backing. That's how I know God's certainly in our midst here at Sezon, here at New Life. We're joining with him in the work that he's already conducting here in renewing all of our hearts, rebuilding broken relationships, the building of a new and better relationship together. Perhaps now we can be challenged as well in faith. We, New Life, have our vision renewed and look to do good for our city of Sydney. We're called to participate with God in the renewing of our minds through the Holy Spirit. It tells us that in Romans, that we might be transformed more and more into the image of Jesus Christ. And as we take on his culture here at New Life, as we take on the mission of planting more churches and evangelizing through this endeavor, we're gonna see the city's culture transformed as well. In our next sermon series, which is starting next week, we're gonna be looking at the timing of these focus areas. So hang tight if you're feeling a little bit sketchy about what we're talking about. We'll talk a little bit about the timing of these things. Why don't we pray together? Father, as we explore the vision that we're talking about here as we explore the different focuses that you have for new life. I pray for all of our hearts here, for the hearts of my brothers and sisters, for my heart indeed, for the hearts of those at Seven Church as well, that you would align us together, that you would unite us together in this vision, not only with one another, that we can move as one body, but with the head of the church, Jesus Christ our Lord. We don't want to move if it's not you moving. We don't want to do anything if it isn't you leading. Do not take us up from here if you don't go with us. So we pray, Lord, if it is you speaking, that you would solidify this vision in our hearts, that you would give us new eyes that we might be able to see fresh insight and fresh revelation what it is that you have in mind for new life and for Sezon indeed. That you might give us ears to hear what it is that you have in mind, even as you teach us in parables, even as you teach us through sermons and worship songs and prayers together. And that you might give us new hearts, new hearts that are fertile ground, that are good soil, that will indeed spring forth a fruit a hundredfold, sixtyfold, thirtyfold, whatever it is that you have in store for us. 
We want for new life to be that good soil. We want for all of us together as one body to embody this vision and to move forth together. We don't want there to be any obstacles to our personal growth. And indeed, we don't want there to be any obstacles to the growth of our church. So would you challenge us through these words? Would you challenge us through the vision that you have for us? Don't leave us sitting comfortable in our chairs, but take us down to our knees that we might pray, that we might seek you. Let it be all out of love for you. Let it be all out of love and appreciation of the gospel of grace that we glorify you through every week. Would you renew grace in our hearts and would you help us, Lord, to encourage one another, exhort one another through grace renewal as well. Help us, Lord, to preach to one another. Help us, Lord, to pray for one another, to speak to each other in spiritual songs and help us, Lord, to love you more. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.